What's a uh, DJ? Oh, yeah. Bring yeah, that ass here, boy. What do you want me to do? <laughs> DJ Youngfly? DC? What? DC yes. Youngfly. Daddy Robert, I'll bring it to you. Yes. <laughs> That's a horrible opening. Welcome to Bros. I mean, you don't have to use it. You can cut it. <laughs> no, no, don't let's go. No, let's that go on. Shit that's all going. Put it in there. Put it no. in there. We don't have the capabilities. This is all real to real. We're recording yeah, live right now. You can cut real to real. This week I am a DJ D Rec. I am the light ring for you all the DJ. No, you gotta be a DJ. Oh, uh, I'm DJ Lance DJ. from Yo Gabba Gabba. Oh, I'm Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> I am not a DJ. I'm DC Youngfly. There you go. There we go. All right. There you go. And this is Bros of Murder, where we hit the ones and twos with some true crime cases of color, weird crimes and oddities, and maybe you'll learn something new. Because, you know, we all kind of stupid. We went to public school. And we'll True. also play you some music from an artist <clears throat> probably never heard of. <laughs> public school? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I went to public school. My schools are really Fun fact far. about me. No, fact about me, I went to uh, a private Catholic school as a chick kid of Philly, and I got kicked out. Yeah, I threatened what? somebody <laughs> with violence. No! Yeah. How many Hail Marys so did you have to say? Cards. No, I just got, they didn't even give me that. I just got kicked out. <laughs> Some kids threw my Pokemon cards. Someone was going to beat them up. Yeah, and it's my parents that I kicked out. My dad was mad. My mom was proud. He said, you're right. If someone steals from you... <laughs> you tell them you're gonna kick Buckle their ass. Up. <laughs> and welcome to Bros of Murder. So now, this week is the first week of Black History Month. Yay, yay. Even though we're still in the midst of uh, a panorama. Coronavirus he releases this in May. All the episodes are messed up, everyone listening right now. It may come out first week. I don't know. We'll see what no. he <laughs> This is definitely coming up. <laughs> This accidentally gets released after the pandemic. <laughs> Why am I throwing all this shade? God. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, you're, you're pulling an Oz on me. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that so an This movie? is most likely... We're going to move past that. This is most likely <laughs> our Black History Month episode. Most likely going to be the first week of Black History Month. And it's our historical episode. Where we're going to be Traveling in a Wayback Machine and give you some historical crimes. So, Battle, you did you wait, did you want to go first this time? What were you about to say, Andre? Were you about to say something about recording and when we went last time? Because I don't know where we are. So you can go ahead no, and I was saying <laughs> I know yours like was gonna tease up mine or how the flow is gonna go. No no I'll no go first. Just go first. 
You got it, bro. Yeah, I'll go for it. Yay. So now mine is pretty fucked up. I didn't know about this until like I learned about it recently. And I was like, this is why we need black history to be taught in school. Because black history is US history. And we don't learn about this shit. So how can we progress forward if we don't learn about things like a group of white men coming and slaughtering a whole town full of black people? Facts. You just don't learn about that shit school. <laughs> so now, many heinous and outright horrific acts of crimes have been done upon people of color based on white lies. Like the case of Emmett Till, where a white woman lied on a 14-year-old boy and Oof. got him to be lynched. Oof. Or in recent history, the case of Patricia Ripley, a Florida mom who killed her autistic son and claimed that two black men did it. The black men just didn't even exist. White lies kills. And sometimes white lies just cause full-blown black massacres. No more talking about it. The way it is, the way it is. It's no mystery. There's no getting around it. When you're here, when you're here. We got chemistry We light up When we ignite We are stars In a darkened sky when you My case is about the Silka Massacre that happened in Texas in 1910 between the days of July 20th and July 30th. Only six deaths were actually confirmed, but it's surmised that actually about a hundred black lives were snuffed out over the course of that 16 hours this massacre took place. Historians have provided several explanations and motives because the history of what happened was completely destroyed and covered up at the expense and to make, you know, save the face of all the white perpetrators. So now a lot of these theories are pretty strong. But the story gets shifted and waned in favor of white people. Like, at some point, they actually try to blame the black residents on their own massacres, as if that makes sense. <laughs> so now I'll give a little backstory to get to the crime that happened itself. So now, long before Soka Massacre had occurred, many residents in Texas had been involved in racial acts. It's Texas. I don't know what you expect. Now, there had already been about 335 lynchings and 261 of the victims were black. Many of these lynchings occurred based on just allegations alone, and the victims' families never got justice, which was not uncommon for this time, and lynchings have still been happening in America, and they still go unsolved today, so <laughs> but that's a whole other thing I can get into. So there were many other factors that added to this tense time. Rumors of black men, well, the first incident that happened that led up to the massacre were the rumors of a group of black teenagers flirting with the daughter of a farmer who also was a teenager. So this group of boys flirting with a group of girls and that caused a lot of beef. Another incident that led up to this was a black farmer who was a sharecropper arguing with another white farmer over the land dispute and uh, the white man accused the black man of getting physical even though there was no proof of that and that also was used to amp up, you know, the tensions. But the main catalyst of this whole massacre was that people, the white people in Anderson, in Anderson County, 
believed that the black people of the town were starting an uprising. They thought that the black people were going to get together and push for equality, and that scared them. Equality is not an uprising. To the white people. <laughs> <laughs> They're not trying to take power from anyone. They're trying to, you know, be treated like human beings. Be the same. Yo, listen to this man pop off. Keep going. Brother Robert, please keep going. <laughs> no <laughs> preach, man. <laughs> like. So now, white people began calling for help from other white people throughout Anderson County. As a precaution, the white men hid their women and children in schools and churches before they went off on the hunt. Like, they were... I don't... I don't know if they legitimately believed that they were, like, in danger of the black people uprising that they thought was going to happen. <laughs> I also think it was, like, because I also think it was mainly just fueled by pure old racism. But also, if they're hiding, the <laughs> it was like, somebody believed that something was going to happen. You think it was pured by fuel, pure racism? <laughs> you yeah, have to I think like, about whether or not it was pure, <laughs> pure racism. I mean, you know like, what I mean. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> this racism and this is like paranoia racism. This yeah. is like paranoia racism. <laughs> Just like, I mean, what is it? You know, what is racism? Yo, they paranoid as fuck. You get what I mean. So now, these white men, before they went out on their hunt, they actually gathered up all the ammunition and guns they could and started drinking. Like, I guess any. <laughs> That's why, like, you were obviously weren't that fucking scared. Yeah, you needed some liquor courage. District judge. Benjamin Howard Gardner realized that the complications and combination of guns and alcohol and rumors of a black uprising is actually creating a deadly potential outcome. So he tried to counteract this by imposing a court order that would close off all saloons, gun stores, and hardware stores to keep the men in that town from like doing what everyone said they're about to go do. But it was by that point it was too late, and everyone already had the weapons and ammunition they would already need. But the violence began when six white men encountered a group of black teenagers. Most of the teenagers escaped, but one was actually murdered by the mob. Soon after that, the mob of about 50 men formed in Anderson County, and then they started to parade the black neighborhoods and attempted to kill many black people that came across without any type of discrimination or second thought about it. Some groups of African Americans were actually shot in the back because they were fleeing into the forest. Like black people running from the cities into the woods and being chased into the woods, still shot and killed. The Soka massacre lasted for 16 hours, but the initial, like, actual going around killing people lasted for 16 hours. And only five casualties were confirmed, but the count was actually higher. I'm saying only confirmed because the records were destroyed after that, so they can't look like that bad. They can just say, oh, we only killed five black people instead of the couple hundred that were actually murdered. Now, after the bloodshed ended, Sheriff Black and Sheriff Lacey from the surrounding area arrived to Anderson County to address and investigate what was happening because some people were able to flee out to other towns and get help. When they came, they said that every black person there was hiding in fear. The white men were all walking around the town with their guns around, like they were patrolling. And Sheriff Black and officers with him went to the scene and did a complete and thorough investigation of the incident. He went to every black person and the black people were telling that they were in fear of their lives and that they weren't coming outside until they knew it was safe because they they just watched their neighbors and friends and family members get shot. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah, no, it's 
It's very terrifying. That's so scary. Like, just imagine minding your business and a bunch of people just come in and I start can't. shooting everybody. That's how I feel about, like, these dudes that, like, walk around with their guns, like, they're gonna get robbed or something. Like, what the fuck? Like, do you really Open need a gun right now? You want to incite violence. Like, yeah. Like, why do you need to have your gun? Like, are you that scared? Like, yo. This is why I'm afraid of people with guns. I don't trust people with guns. Well, I mean, I own, I own weapons, but, like, they fucking, like, I don't... The fuck i'm sorry for interjecting <laughs> but that just that's scary so now more officers came to the scene and still the white population anderson like the people there were warning the cops there like if you get involved and investigate this you're gonna get assassinated like the blacks here they're gonna assassinate you if you walk around investigating it and obviously they were wrong because the black people were all hiding here uh texas rangers and the state militia were called down to the town and they helped disperse Everybody. The main survivors were just women and children, but black women and children were the bulk of the survivors. Uh, on their search of the black neighborhoods, the neighborhoods were utterly empty. Property was destroyed, stolen, and a lot of the elderly couples there were also uh, left to survive. So they mainly just went around killing black men specifically. Some women obviously died too, but mo mostly the men, women, children, and elderly people were left alive. Uh, Rangers did confirm that black people were generally in fear of being hunted down. So for two days, the black survivors stayed inside in fear of their lives. They didn't come outside for two whole days. Uh, and no white person was actually convicted of the massacre. So none of the 50 men, that mob of people, got arrested. They all got away with the scot free. And there are so many instances where black people have re never received justice for racial acts and white terrorism. It happens throughout history. It still happens. We just seen it happen at the fucking Capitol. However, society never labels those violent acts for what they are. And they try to do what they can to cover it up, sugarcoat it, change the narrative. And they obviously, and they never give that same. If, it was, if the world were reversed, it would be completely different. Like, it was a group of black men who went to a white area and started killing a bunch of white people. This would be, like, down in the history books. Like, we'd be learning about this. It's on, like, PBS and shit. It went and just got swept away. Unless there's a prophylic, like... Institution. Serial killer, oh. white serial killer going around. Because we've seen that with the zebra killings and the Zodiac yes. killer. So... Unless it's something marketable. It just depends on, like, what it is and what they want to talk about. But... Things like this, I shouldn't have come across this on like a blog on Reddit. Things like this should be taught. Right? I didn't know about this. That's fucking yeah, wild. We don't dude. get taught about black history enough. And black history is US history. And we, to progress forward, we need to learn about these things. To see like, hey, this is what America was like. This is what America should be like in the future. Like, <laughs> it was hard to do that. But we just to sweep it under the rug and forget it didn't happen. And that's my <sighs> historical case. That's sad. It's I, I couldn't imagine living that. Through makes that makes me feel sad, and that's so scary. It reminds me of, like the Watchmen a little bit. They covered black. It reminds me of Black Wall Street. Remember when Black Wall Street happened? It was like a similar incident. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. But this time, no one fought back because it happened so. F and just like imagine just sitting in fear for like. Two days that at any moment someone could just kick in your door and shoot you because you're black. I think about that all the time. Like, what happens if someone raids my house? Oh, yeah. 
because of how I look. Oh, I'm a living oh, in the south. Granted, my neighborhood's very I'm diverse. Fuck somebody up. Try me. I really want you to. I don't want you to, but just know that. <laughs> but yeah. So, on that dark note, we're going to a break. And we're back. Been a battle. This was in history, bitch. Mine is not as sad. I mean, it involves like some bad things, but it's not as sad and terrifying as this, but it sucks. It's sad though. So my Bay Area Cali folk, this is for you. I'm actually going to start this off a little different to see if you can guess who I'm going to be talking about today. You too. Both of okay. you could try to guess too. We'll see if you're right. I love guessing things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. First, I do like this. Put a look on my face like I smelled some piss. Back to the, back to the beat till I start to hurt. Then I dust all the smirk off me shirt. Drip to the ground as I catch the bass. Then I wipe off the sweat off me face. Hop back up. Then I start to slide. Pop in my collar as I glide. Then I take then I break the thing down and do the bird, dust myself off like I stole third. Come on, everybody, now's the chance. Fuck the Harlem Shake, this is the Thizzle Dance. Andre, Robert, go. Who is this? I have, I have no idea. These lyrics do not sound familiar the, to me. I'm assuming the they're fizzle, lyrics. The fizzle dance. They, they the are. Fizzle, they are. The fizzle dance yeah. definitely sounds familiar to me. Fizzle dance. Yeah. I'll tell you that the fizzle, fizzle dance it made reference to the Harlem Shake. It's it's not about the Harlem Shake. Fuck the Harlem Shake. This is the fizzle dance. It's 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 fizzle. Fizzle is what people now call like doing Molly or or MDMA or whatever it's called. When I was a kid, we called it fizz. Like, oh, you want a fizz or whatever? You're doing um ecstasy. So you don't know who this is? Is it uh-huh, Wendy no. Williams? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wendy Williams, no. So if you're listening to this and you don't know who this is, this is about Mac Dre. Oh. Mac Dre was a rapper and he was pretty much very affluent in the hip hop community. And also he was a record producer. And I have to say, while he wasn't known throughout the country, Mac Dre was a hip hop pheno- phenomenon in the Bay Area, on the West Coast, in Cali. Like, Mac Dre was the shit. So, born... Yeah, I fucking love Mac Dre. I never did ecstasy. I was too afraid. But, I, yeah, I was just... I love the songs. I love singing about I've done it once by ecstasy. Accident. I was just a big pussy. No, I can't do ecstasy. I was too afraid. I was afraid. 16, and someone handed me a pillow at a party. The commercial like, scared hey, take me. This. And I was like, all right. I took it, and they are like, like, what was that? And they are like, ecstasy. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to go sit down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's scary. Oh, I, that's uh, I don't know if ecstasy has the reputation of a sit-down oh, drug. No. Most of my friends that were on it, they were like super like lovey and happy, yeah, and dehydrated. But chewing, whatever. <laughs> Dead. No, I'm just kidding. None of my friends died from it. But born as Andre Lewis Hicks on July 5th in hey, Oakland, California, Mac Drake. Yes, it is your name. Congratulations, Andre. Wow. 
<laughs> Mac Dre came up in the rap scene pretty quick. For me, as a teenager, like I said earlier, growing up in California, everyone that I ran with knew who Mac Dre was. Again, I'm a little older, a few years, whatever. 31, I know. But he was famous mostly because of his catchy lingo like Thiz, Thiz Face, Thizzle Wiggle. But not only that, he was probably the first one that actually, why I brought this in as history was because he was the one pretty much that coined hypey. Like, let's get hype, let's get hype, you know? He got that culture to emerge, which brought out, you know, all kinds of different things. So before we had Soldier Boy, before we, like, had Nene and Whip and all that stuff, we had the Thizzle Dance, that was a thing, or like the Crip Walk and things like that, and we would get hype, you know? He was influential in creating these types of songs that were super hype, that the bass lines just fucking hit. It was fucking raw, created new dances and everything. And the the crazy thing is not a lot of people know about it. They're just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to say it. I got it off Urban, UrbanDictionary.com. No, motherfucker, this is where you get it from. So while he was a student at Hogan High School in Vallejo, California, he was producing and making his own music. And he ran into the he ran into some trouble with the law, and after serving some prison time for a conspiracy to commit robbery, bank robbery that is, he actually didn't ever commit bank robbery. They just said that he did because of whatever. There was just a group of people. He just got charges, and he ended up spending five. He got charged with five years to go to prison. He only had to serve four. And once he actually gets out of prison, he moves to Arden Arcade. And this is a city right outside of San Francisco. The reason he moved was because he wanted to not be in Vallejo anymore, not want to be around the Vallejo police and police department, the law enforcement there anymore, because that's where he caught charges and people knew who he was because he was very affluent at this point. With his move to Arden Arcade, he found a new he found a new record label and it was called Thiz Entertainment, which was changed from his former record label called Rump Productions. Rump Productions. With his new move and his new record label, Mac Dre kept releasing songs, he kept releasing albums up until the point where he met his demise. So November 1st, 2004 was when Mac Dre died. After having a, su- a, a successful performance in Kansas, Missouri, Mac Dre thought it was just another night. He was going to hit the road with his with his his uh, crew, and guess what? It was his last performance. And as they were driving through Kansas City, a stolen black Infinity G36 pulled up alongside their van and opened fire. This is where police said that the van went through. They said that it went through a grass median and across four lanes on a freeway and eventually crashed into a ditch. And this is according to San Francisco Gate. The detectives of this, the detective of this investigation, Detective Bad, Babcock, said that 
when the accident happened and they were doing the investigation, it was hard to find any answers because a lot of people didn't want to talk. And that's including the people that were with Mac Dre, just his own crew. They didn't want to talk. They were just like, yo, yeah, I don't know this dude. Nope, never met him, never met him and stuff like that. But after this, there was a lot of rumors that started to, to be passed around that this other artist named Fat Tone Watkins, like, killed him. Fat Tone was also an influential rapper in the hip-hop community. He was once arrested and later acquitted of the murder of a pregnant woman. Like, so he caught charges too, but he was acquitted, yeah, after... Yeah, he apparently he murdered a pregnant woman and got off with it. I don't know. I'm mad you're just gonna like drop that in and not elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was this I'm like a, a money in the right kind of pockets thing? Or like- they just said that he. I didn't look into that case too much uh, because it would have made it a really long case, and I don't want to do that to everyone. Maybe that's another one I could revisit. I will revisit that one. I will revisit how Fat Tone was able to maybe murder a pregnant woman and get acquitted. Sorry, everyone. Not sorry, you son of a bitch. Hey, inspire <laughs> independent research. Yeah. <laughs> so, because Fat Tone was super influential in Kansas City, anytime shootings happen in Kansas City, people were always like, yo, Fat Tone did it. Fat Tone did it. So he had some pull, so he probably had some money or someone working. Although it was always assumed that Fat Tone murdered Mac Dre, there was never any actual evidence that pinpointed Fat Tone to his murder. Eventually, though, May 23rd, Fat Tone was also found dead, and he died because he was shot 20 times in Las Vegas. Someone had a vendetta, not only, well, not only that, it was crazy because there were other rappers that got oh. murdered around the same time. So it was like this whole conspiracy going on. But as of today, there have been no leads on the murder of Mac Dre. They said that it was some type of gang violence or it was part of a gang bang robbery scheme or something like that, but nothing ever concrete. And while Mike Mac Dre had passed away, there there was three albums that were released posthumous posthumous posthumously there were three posthumous posthumously post (laughs) what the fuck why can't I say it post there were there were three albums that were released after he died why can't I say this right now is it postmortem you're trying to say Oh. No, no, posthumously. No, I can't say it. Posthumously. I can't say it right now. It's after he died. They released after he died. And this was his legacy. Fizz and Hypey, we got it because of Mac Dre Everwin, and that's your history. <laughs> I can't say it right now. I'm not going to try it again. You don't have to edit it out. If you're laughing at me, everyone, that's fine, okay? Just make fun of me. I don't care. Make fun of me in the comments down below. After He's you like the post, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But no, that was a good case. Good lesson. 
liked it. I do, I do really want to know more about that. <laughs> the, the, the killing. Yes, yes. Fat tone? I might yeah. do like a little yeah, reel. Please, I'll yeah. do a real unfat tone. <laughs> I have questions. But uh, now it's time for uh, birds. Word of the week. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I love that so much. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we are actually going to combine two elements of your guys' that you talked about. We had uh, Missouri with Kansas City, Missouri from uh, Battle, and we had, you know, Race Riot with Andre. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about the East St. Louis Race Riot of 1917. This was something that I did not learn about until I moved to St. Louis. I moved to St. Louis in the middle of the Ferguson riots. Oh, really? Yes. And so the I moved for college, and one of the courses that I actually got enrolled with was a history of racial violence in St. Louis. So we only talked about St. Louis's like horrible past when it came to you know racial division. Like St. Louis is still one of the most segregated cities in America. Its history of redlining is just as bad as Chicago, and the East St. Louis race riot is one of those. Oh, terribly bloody outbreaks that, again, like we talked about earlier, don't get talked about enough. So there were a lot of factors that kind of contributed to this growing into a larger issue. Um, so during around 1910 is when we started to see what's called the Great Migration. So that was lots of African, African-American communities in the South uh, moving to urban centers uh, in the Midwest and into the North, because they were finally freed from slavery and could travel. So these this influx of new families and new workers into cities started to create tension within the working class of St. Louis, especially people who uh, were lower income and were competing for the same jobs that newly freed slaves would do for cheaper. Class solidarity doesn't um, always reach over this, to races. <laughs> so this, all the events that occurred are going to be around the year 1917. So in February of that year, there were some rumors that haven't really been substantiated that there was a, a string of robberies of white men throughout the city. And this very well could fall in the categories of white lies, of people using some sort of uh, fabrication of facts to justify violence. There was growing tension and there became these rumors that a group of black men were robbing white men in the city, which from what we understand about crime is not really how things typically go. Well, so yeah, we, we touched okay. on that in another episode. <laughs> that's, that's what's on the record. So all of that kind of brewing over the summer or into the summer, we then go to July. So on July 1st, a white man in a Ford shot into black homes. He drove to East St. Louis, which is in Illinois. So the city of St. Louis is right on the Mississippi River. You know, east of the river is East St. Louis and is technically in Illinois, but you know, it's part of the metro area that is St. Louis. So a man drove across state lines and was shooting into black homes in this neighborhood. And a group of armed African-Americans in that community went out trying to stop this man driving around. This is very um, reasonable. And they shot into another Ford. Which is a very reasonable reaction to someone just indiscriminately shooting Yes, incredible. That's what any community would do, especially when that community cannot go to, say, the police. So they shot into a Ford that was also driving around at that time, and it happened to contain two off-duty policemen. So this chain of events... <laughs> 
<laughs> of kind of mistaking the wrong car. Uh, also, we don't really have any good idea about why those two cops were in the area. They may have been related to the first car. We, we don't know. That's purely conjecture. So the killing of the two cops in retaliation to... And it wasn't retaliation. It was a misidentification. But it was viewed as retaliation by the white community of St. Louis. And then the following day, so that would be July 2nd, large groups of white people began going all over the city of St. Louis. Not East St. Louis only, but all over St. Louis and committing horrible acts of violence. Um, There's a, a quote... Right here, let's see. Um, there was when was this? Uh, 1917. It's like America, uh, it's like America this is has a, a, a quote from someone history who's, about groups of white men killing black people. Yes, well, and th- this Gosh. race rights, I, I guess, interesting in that aspect is that uh, white women were also heavily involved um, in the violence. But so, this is a direct quote from someone who was viewing the acts of these men parading around. There was a horribly cool deliberateness and a spirit of fun about it. They were chanting, get an N word, and then the rest of the group would call back, get another. Jesus Christ. So, these are, these are lynch mobs. You know, this, for whatever reason, it's portrayed as a riot, but this is a lynch mob that roved around the entire city of St. Louis, killing and beating uh, black families. And it wasn't just black men, it was black women and children as well. A, a black woman, uh, her younger daughter, her daughter was pulled off of the trolley, and as she stepped off the trolley to protect her daughter, they were beset by a group of white people and when they left, she had a hole in her head. A <gasps> gaping hole was left. Uh, we don't really oh know gosh. how that happened, if it was a gunshot or blunt force trauma. There was a person who was beheaded with a butcher's knife. A 12-year-old African-American girl was also killed by the trolley. This was this was not retributive justice by, to any degree. This was random, brutal intimidation of an entire community. This is kind of the blueprint for what a hate crime is, you know? These acts of violence that the acts themselves are used to intimidate and repress a group of people. So, like, when we talk about hate crimes, the crime of a hate crime is on top of, you know, the murder or whatever you committed. Because that entire community is, you know, beset by violence by you killing that person because you're directly threatening them. So, on July 3rd, so this is the third day of it, uh, violence continued, um, and it was now spreading deeper into East St. Louis and such to the point that uh, houses were being burned down and then people were being shot as they fled their houses. Um, And people fled to the Mississippi River uh, to try and escape. So people also drowned in the river uh, attempting to flee the kind of roving bands of white people. Like the are fleeing into the woods, like the Yes. So there is a bridge that connects over the Mississippi River, and large groups of people, reportedly thousands of black people, were fleeing across this bridge towards St. Louis trying to get away from all the violence, and the police, the St. Louis police, blocked off the St. Louis side of the bridge. Wow. Because from their perspective, this was a race war, and they were they were coming as violent agitators. Wow. So they stopped them from getting into the city. Uh, so people died on the bridge, people jumped off the bridge into the Mississippi River trying to flee still, and the estimate of how many people died 
you know, obviously we don't have a good one, but estimates are anywhere from like 40 to a couple hundred. And then I have one more quote that is a little sobering. We witnessed horrible things, people's houses being set ablaze, people being shot when they tried to flee, some trying to swim to the other side of the Mississippi River while being shot at by white mobs with rifles, others being dragged out of streetcars and beaten and hanged from street lamps. We spent a lifetime as children hearing these stories. It was clear to me my father was suffering some, from some sort of PTSD. So this quote comes from a man um, uh, Samuel Kennedy or Samuel Kennedy's son. So the Kennedys now are involved with uh, the National Museum of African American History and Culture and they regularly try to disseminate as much information as they can. It's another organization kind of like the NAACP that... uh, it's, it's not even about bringing these people to justice because it's a mob. You can't do that. But people who are actively trying to like whitewash history and hide these facts, um, they have an agenda. Like, any time that there are riots and things brought up, they conveniently don't show the racial violence that black people experience through white riots. You know, these killings and lynchings that took place on a grand scale. I think there's like this misconception that, you know, lynchings were like small groups of Ku Klux Klan members off in the woods at night. But, you know, sometimes it was very blatant in the middle of the day by an entire community. It, it happened, it happens across America. Like it wasn't just centralized and like some backwoods yeah. Alabama. Like, no, this was a thing that was predominant. St. Louis was a major city. Like, it's disgusting, terrible. And again, that you, you have you, everybody should know. And, and it's sad that you just have to actively look for that information and knowledge when we should be taught it to learn how to do better and be better because we're fucking on the ass. And that's all. Period. Mm-hmm. And a, a correction: his name is Tahiti Kennedy. His father was Samuel Kennedy. Tahiti Kennedy. That is the one. Hey, fuck white lies. White lies. So. Lies? Lies. L-I-E-S. Okay. I was like, wait, I don't think you should say lies. No, 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 no. Right. (laughs) Not that kind of show. Dude, wait. (laughs) I was going to say, that's the kind of thing that we'll get you on a list really quick. I can't afford that. (laughs) Us colors, we only got one shot. Yeah. And also not what I'm about. But hey, that was our historical episode. You know, go out there, look up the history for yourself, learn something. Don't just, you know, rely on PBS to teach you some shit. Google is free. <laughs> uh, well, and especially the city you yeah. live in. Like, try to find out that local it's history because it, it makes a difference. Uh, what do I have to plug? You know, check the social medias. We've been doing some fun vids there and stuff like that. Some fun posts. I've been on my shit. Battle, do you have anything to plug? Other than he has, you know, your plants and Twitch. And my what is plants your social and media? My Twitch. At, at Oh Hello Blogs. Like, mm-hmm. Oh 
O-H H-E-L-L-O B-L-O-G-S Holla at your boy Coming at you live From a studio audience That consists of Andre and Robert We do record in front of a live studio audience (laughs) Robert They're just really quiet Do you have anything to plug? No, just find me on social media at Robert Kogel, R O B E R T K O E G E L. His voice is so fucking dreamy. Yeah, if you want to yeah, see me so climb cool. around on yeah. some rocks or want to see. You just want to eat him up when you see Photos of him. me posing and stuff. Link tree. Bye. Bye. a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.